Hey, thanks for tuning in to Acts 23, a verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts. This week, we'll hear a message from Pastor Andy Bowles. So we are in this study, Acts, studying it as, as well as we can, verse by verse, with the time slots that we're giving it through this year, 2023. Remember that this is in conjunction to what we did last year as we were studying through the life of the disciples. The disciples are now in the book of Acts, known as apostles. They have experienced in a very special way a ministry of Jesus, not just in participating through the gospel, some of the very things that Jesus did, but now are commissioned under his authority to go out and turn the world upside down. They're going to do greater things than, than Jesus did himself as Jesus had prophesied over them what happened. And now we're reading through these 28 chapters again as best as we can. There's going to be a few breaks here and there throughout this time together, as you well know, through our calendar that we've had toward the end of the year. But also we're going to have some moments of worship on the first Wednesdays. I think the first Wednesday, maybe the last Wednesday of the month. We're still going to do some Lord's Supper stuff on Wednesday night. Uh, but man, we're, we're going through this. Has this been a blessing to you so far as we've already covered three chapters? I hope and pray that it has been. Uh, the way that I want to set this up tonight, though, because this is a, every time we get up from this stage is a very serious moment because we're coming from a very sobering book about life and, and how God wishes to, through this word, give you instruction and order your steps and help you be salt and light in the world. But tonight's subject is a little bit, I think, kind of up in the ante on, on, on seriousness. So I want you to do me a favor, if you would, just kind of close your eyes for just a moment because I want you to think through some words. And as you think through these words, um, not just in your mind, I don't know if you're like me, but when I hear a word, I define the word in my brain. You know, I'm just that weird guy. And, and so I want you not just to define the word as I mention a word, but also I want you to be able to feel the word that's being said, okay? And so here's the words that I want you to think through and, and try to feel through. The first word is mistreated. Mistreated. Has there ever been a time in your life to where you were mistreated? If you've lived any length of time, you more than likely have. Next, next word, second word, harassed. Has there been a time in your life to where you were harassed? Can you think through how that felt? Definitely not trying to drum up any emotions in you that might be devastating to you or detrimental to you, but you, you, you feel the weight of being harassed. Taken advantage of It's the third phrase. Taken advantage of. Abused. Mm. So much of that in the world. Just hurt. Just hurt. Not, not necessarily physically, maybe emotionally. Maybe you have a deep spiritual hurt. Maybe you're questioning God, wondering if God is who he said he is, and you're, you're hurt over something that was you felt in your life mishandled, maybe even by God. All right, you can look up. 
how do those words make you feel? How, what, what, what was your thoughts like as you were hearing those words? Where did your, your thoughts go? Not just in defining each of these words, but quite possibly in your mind when you were hearing those words, you might have actually thought of faces and times in life. And it took you places that you were at and you definitely do not want to go back to those places. I want you to understand that being mistreated and harassed and taken advantage of and abused and hurt, all of those things are obviously a part of life. We're going to experience those things just because we live in a sin-cursed world. Maybe another way to say it is we live in a very mean place. It's just the way it is. There are people all around us who wish to use us for what they can get out of us, and that is the only reason that they want to have anything to do with us. There are going to be people who see us as objects and things instead of value and individuals. And so that's just the world we live in. Sometimes we can be mistreated and harassed and taken advantage of and abused and hurt. Because we've done some things and this is kind of like the consequence for every action. There's an equal and opposite reaction and we're just kind of getting something on the back side of that. Now let me say this real quick. Some of you guys have faced certain abuses that were of no fault of your own. And you need to hear that. There are certain abuses that we take in our lives and sometimes very early in our life that if we're not careful, we will believe the lie of the enemy that says, well, you provoked that or you deserved that or if I would have been better for them, then they, they would not have treated me this way. I want you to understand all of that is a lie from the very pit of hell, Okay. You, you can't believe that, okay? Uh, now, I, I will tell you this. At 47 years old, I've lived enough of my life to realize that I have incurred some mistreatment, some abuse verbally or even sometimes physically. I, I, I've incurred some, some being taken advantage of and hurt and harassed because I just did something dumb. And, and, and in a way... I did do that, and I, I may not necessarily have deserved that, but I got that just because we live in this world that says, if you get me, I'm going to get you, you know? And, and that's understandable. There, there are times to where we, we are abused for no reason at all. There's times to where we're harassed because we've been an initial harasser. But there's also times in life to where we get mistreated, not because of something we do, but because of who we are. You, uh, again, you, you could play this thing out in so many different ways. I mean, we can go socioeconomically. Maybe I grew up because uh, in a poor situation and, and I didn't have the name brand clothes. This is, this is hitting home for me, really. I grew up with a large family. We couldn't afford Air Jordans. Nikes, name brand blue jeans, everything that I wore was Buddy. Some of you guys might remember. It wasn't the name brand, it's just what it was called. Are you wearing buddies, Andy? You know, and, and so socio, socioeconomically, I, I couldn't afford it, and maybe I, I felt somewhat harassed because of who I am. I, I, was, I was poor. 
Maybe some people have been harassed because of their ethnicity. It's who they are. Maybe it's, maybe it's because of the color of my skin. Maybe it's because of the people that I hang around that, and now I'm, I'm getting a harassment from that way. But tonight, it's a little bit different with what we're talking about. We're, we're studying through the book of Acts, and we've been in chapter 1, chapter 2. If you'll pick up the theme so far, there's only going to be two chapters to where we'll have to take the entire chapter to be able to fit Acts in 2023 with our schedule, and that's chapter 6 and chapter 12. We're going to take a huge bite out of Acts those nights, but half a chapter, one Wednesday, half, the, the second half, the next Wednesday, and chapter 4, Verses 1 through 22 is what we're going to read tonight. And what you're going to find is there are these apostles who were disciples. We studied them last year. They're apostles now. And not just the 12 apostles, but even those disciples that are following. They, they, run, into, they run into mistreatment and harassment and abuse and being taken advantage of and being hurt because of who they are. Not necessarily their ethnicity, although Jews in the world had been taken advantage of way before Hitler ever hit the scene. Not because they were poor, because at the end of this chapter, we're going to find out that the God of heaven chose a certain way in which they were to bring all of their things together and every person was equal in what they had financially and every need was met because of the generosity of a brother or sister. But instead, they were mistreated because of their belief in Jesus. You see, a belief in Jesus at this stage of human history, in this caveat of, of Christian calendar, was a very dangerous thing. To be a Christian in this day, now, now you guys have to understand this, and I know it's kind of a foreign concept for, for many of us. We, we, we live in the United States, not just in the U.S., but we live in an unraveling, the Bible belt is unraveling, but we live in the buckle of that Bible belt. There's churches everywhere. We talk about Christianity. You're an oddball out if, you, if you're not claiming Christianity. You're not Christian. I was at Walmart just Yesterday, and, and I saw this guy dressed in this attire. I don't know what it was. He, he had all white on, and he kind of had his loins girt. That's the best way I can explain it. And he had a little white smudge right here, and he had one patch of hair. You could tell he shaved his hair. And I'm talking about this dude is super white, you know? And I'm like, this, he, didn't, he, didn't, he was not from anywhere else. He's, he, this guy from Scott County, you know? And so and I'm thinking to myself, he's, he's an oddball, you know, he's... I didn't call him an oddball. Don't, don't, think, don't think strangely of me. Uh, but if I was not in as much of a hurry as I thought I was in, I was really ready to stop him and say, bro, what's up with this? You know, but just totally, obviously it was something to do with his faith, something different. So the Christian is looking at him as opposed to if I was in Indonesia where they're 95 plus percent Muslim, a Christian would be looked at. Differently, We live in an area where Christianity is the predominant thought. Now, I don't want you to mistake and think that, that in the South, in particular Mississippi, that there's a majority of Christians. You do know that 70% of, of Mississippi is unchurched. 
it's a larger percentage of those who do not know Christ than do know Christ. And even within the 30% of those who, who claim to know Christ, then you've got to figure out, okay, what percentage of that truly know Jesus? I want you to know that I walked an aisle at 10 years old. I shook a preacher's hand. I got baptized, and I was just as lost before I got baptized. After I was baptized, it was before I got baptized. I was headed to the same hell before I shook that preacher's hand as when I did after I shook that preacher's hand because all of that was a formality that I felt in some sense peer pressured or forced to do because I was of that age. I was 15 years old when the Holy Spirit began to knock on my heart and said, brother, if you don't do something, you're going to bust hell wide open. And in that moment, I realized I was headed to hell really quick. I had, the, I had this impression upon my heart that if something didn't change, I could die at any moment and hell is what I deserve. Until the Holy Spirit revealed that truth to me, I gave my life to Christ and was truly born again. I'm afraid there's a lot of people within that 30% who, who are riding a seat inside of a church building to hell, but that's a different discussion for a different day and I'm sure we'll hit it through the book of Acts. But... Being mistreated because of your faith. We, we in Christianity have a word for that, and it's, and it's persecution. Uh, again, every Christian that dies is not a martyr. And every Christian that is mistreated is not being persecuted. Specifically speaking, a Christian who dies in an act of defense for their faith, they're standing up for Jesus, they're not cowing down or, or breaking under the peer pressure of renouncing their faith in Jesus, and in that moment they're killed, they, they die, then that person's a martyr. And it's happening all over the world right now. We've got it easy here. You ask the Christian church that's underground in China right now, it's not easy for them. You ask those Christians who are in Iran and they're being persecuted immensely. The ones in Sudan to where recently a pastor was burned to death in his own church building just because he believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and was not willing to renounce it. Persecution to martyrdom. Persecution happening all over the world. Every, every Christian that's mistreated is, is not persecuted because the drive-thru was not fast enough for you and you're a Christian didn't mean McDonald's was trying to persecute you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you're persecuting yourself. <laughs> but certain things that we incur through relationship because of our faith, demeaning attitudes or slurred words at us or Something like that. This, this, is what, this is what Paul the Apostle told a young pastor named Timothy. He said, he said, those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You, you can expect persecution sometime or another in your existence as a Christian. It is a high probability, especially <clears throat> with the way the world is moving you, you can expect persecution. In, in, in this earlier chapters of Acts, again, it's the caveat of Christian calendar to where these guys were the tip of the spear of Christianity and they were taking a lot of the brunt of persecution. What we find here in the first 22 verses of chapter 4 of Acts is in particular due to what happened with the miracle and the message of chapter 3. You've got Peter and John who are now facing some persecution. So let's real quickly 
read these 22 verses of Acts chapter 4. And as they spake unto the people, the priest and the certain, or excuse me, the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. So uh, again, this is, this is after the miracle that takes place. There's a lame man. He's begging alms. Peter and John don't have silver and gold, but what they have, they give to him in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk and the lame man walks. A miracle is absolutely amazing. It blows the minds of everybody around them and it gets the attention of those around them, and people begin to run to them after they see this lame man to whom they've known. This, this passage is going to tell us above 40 years of age. He's been there doing that thing for a long time, and now people see it, and they're a little bit freaked out about it, so they run around and they say, well, what's going on here? And it provides the opportunity for the message to be preached. As the message is being proclaimed, you remember last week how there is a difference between a sermon and a message. Somebody told me earlier, sometimes the difference between the sermon and a message is the difference between the head and the heart and how it's, <laughs> right? So as this message is being preached, it's a very pointed message, right? It's a very serious message. It's, it's, it's a personalized message. You who have crucified the Son of glory, nobody's able to escape from it. Because the Bible is written in the English language for us, we've got it broken down in chapter and verse so we can study it and understand a little bit better. The original language would just flow from chapter 3 to chapter 4. And as they spake, Peter and John, unto the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees came, came upon them. Man, I wish, I wish we could take five years and go through this. <laughs> upon makes a difference in this thought process. If I come to you, it's one thing. If I come upon you, it's another thing. You know what I'm saying? And so that, that's, you, you know what the difference is. And so we, we've got this, this different group of people. There are the people, the, the, the people who consider themselves to be common. They're just in Jerusalem. They're, they're figuring things out. They're close to the temple. They're obviously religious, but they're not as involved. And then you've got the priests, these guys who have active duty every single day. They've got specific calendar events to where they're going to mingle with the people a little bit more. They're the ones who are offering the sacrifices and receiving sacrifices from people. And then the captain of the temple. You've got this one individual who, and as you read through this, you see the, the structure is a little bit deeper, a little bit stronger, a little bit more responsibility. The captain of the temple who is responsible for having everything around the temple in order and neat. We don't need to have no trouble, y'all. And then the Sadducees. There are different religious groups of that day. There are the Herodians who were a mixture breed religiosity of people who took religion and also a submission unto Herod or Rome, and they, they used it as an avenue between both. They wanted to be political, they wanted to be religious, and they wanted to do, have their cake and eat it too. Then you've got the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were the ones Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 23. If you want to hear anything scathing report of anybody, you go to Matthew chapter 23, and you'll hear Jesus talk about the Pharisees, and man does he talk about the Pharisees, but he doesn't talk about them as much as he talks to them. He, he's not speaking behind their backs. He's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees in that chapter, telling them who they are. And then it, there's the, the Sadducees. Why is it important 
that it denotes the fact that, and the Sadducees came. The Sadducees were a certain group of religious leaders who had a certain belief about resurrection. They didn't believe that there was a resurrection from the dead. They believed that, that the body laid in the ground and that was the end of the existence of, of the body. And so whenever Peter and John are preaching the message in the second half of chapter 3, they are talking about Jesus in his death. They are talking about Jesus in his burial. But then what do they talk about? Jesus in his... Let me tell you something. What Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if Jesus had not raised from the dead then all of our faith is in vain and everything we do as Christians is worthless. How important is the resurrection of Jesus Christ because he conquered death, because he rose from the dead. He's promised unto me that I can spiritually be resurrected from the dead through salvation and that one day when this body is laid to the ground, it may decompose into the earth, dust unto dust, Ashes into ashes, but one day it'll be resurrected because this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so whenever they talk about resurrection, it gets the attention of the Sadducees. And being grieved, this is verse 2, that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Get you some of that. You talk about... You talk about not worrying about polling the masses before they preach the message, right? It's too many preachers polling the masses before they preach the message. Verse 3, and they laid hands on them, get ready now, and put them in hold in prison until the next day, for now it was evening time. It was too, too late in their opinion to do anything with them. Plus, I feel like it was a little bit of um, antagonistic ways. We're going to throw you in jail, let you think about it overnight. Ain't nobody ever had that. Okay, move on. <clears throat> let you think about it overnight, and in the morning you'll have a different opinion. And that's kind of where they're going with this. But look at verse 4. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, <laughs> and the number of the men, just the men, was about 5,000. Let's, let's just do this little quick thought process. You've got 120 believing, prayer-filled, soon-to-be spirit-filled people in chapter 1. Chapter 2, Peter preaches Jesus and him crucified and resurrected. And in verse 41 of chapter 2, and they gladly, that received his word, were baptized. And the same day they were adding to them about 3,000 souls. Somebody do the math for me. 3,120, right? And now we read in chapter 4, Howbeit, many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. 8,120. Man, a church became a mega church real quick in the book of Acts. Okay? <laughs> and it came to pass... On the morrow, that their rulers and elders and scribes and, and Ananias and, excuse me, Annas and, and the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, as many as were of the kindred of the high priest, were gathered together in Jerusalem in verse 7. And, they, and, and when they had set them in the midst, they asked. Okay, so, 
So it's kind of a family meeting here, so to speak. The religious rulers of the day, they gather him out of jail and they're getting ready to have this question in time to Peter and John. By what power or by what name have you done this? Bruh, I thought you told me to quit talking about this. And you just put the ball on the tee. I'm going to knock it out the park. That's what, that's what Peter's fixing to do. I mean, you, you, you just gave me the best opportunity. I was really wanting to get into your room anyway. Because it's a whole lot better for me to chop the head off the snake than just come at the tail and try to kill it inch by inch. Right? You see, God set them up. For great opportunity, don't, don't misunderstand that sometimes what you think might be a terrible situation. Man, I'm going, this is, this is awful. Who wants to live in this? This is a terrible thing that I'm going through. God perhaps may be setting you up for one of the greatest opportunities you'll ever have in life. <laughs> They'd have never made it this far if they wouldn't have been in jail overnight thinking about it. Verse 8, then Peter, notice what happens here, filled with the Holy Ghost, chapter 2. He's filled with the Spirit of God, chapter 4. He's filled with the Spirit of the Lord. The end of chapter 4, it's going to recognize it again, that they had been praying. And then it says, and they were in verse 31, all filled with the Holy Ghost to begin to speak the Word of God with boldness. Let me tell you something. It is really important for you as a Christian to live every day filled with the Spirit of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 5 says, don't be filled with wine. Wherein there's there, there is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The, the perfect verbiage of that, that passage means to be being filled. It's a cup that is being filled and running over. God, I need to be led by your Spirit. Walk in the Spirit, and I shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Some of us are too worried about how not to sin. We forget the greatest way of not sinning is just walking in the Spirit. You'll be filled with one of three things. You ready for this? You'll be filled with self, sin, or the Spirit as a Christian. It's up to you to determine, right? Here he's, he's, he's filled with the Spirit of God, right? And, and says unto them, you rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent or the lame man, by what means he was made whole, be it known unto you all, oh, and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I'm talking about, gave him his address. It's Jesus, but just in case you know of another, it's Jesus who is the Christ, the anointed of God. And if some bozo come up and said his name was Jesus and he's from God, just to make sure that you know it a little bit better, it's Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified. Whom God raised from the dead, man pouring salt into the wound of that Sadducee, blowing their theology out of the water. Even by him does this man stand here before you whole. And then, he, then he get, Peter begins to, and Peter talks about this in one of his two letters, First and Second Peter. He, he seemed to be somewhat mesmerized by this. And I can only think, and this is an assumption, so let me kind of step away for just a moment. Whenever in Matthew chapter 24, there's Jesus and the disciples, and they're wondering when the end of times, the end of all things will happen, and Jesus is by the temple, and they're saying, look, God, how amazing this temple is. And then Jesus says, yeah, one day there'll not be one star on top of the other. How do you topple the building? Well, you could, you could topple it in several different ways. You can take it brick by brick, or you can go to the chief cornerstone and knock it out 
and the, the stone that keeps it all held together would collapse the building, right? I can just imagine that, that, that Peter is, is thought about that and thought about that chief cornerstone. And not only that, but him being a good Jew knew the stories to where back in the day when they were building the temple, Solomon's temple, they are in the quarry making these stones, but they make this one oddly shaped stone that only is like that one puzzle, piece of a puzzle, that only fits in that one place and it's weird shaped and you usually know right off the bat, this is unique, this is different, set it to the side, I'll know where it goes when it's time to put it there, that stone that had to be shaped for that certain place to keep it all together. Those builders had the stone come to them and they looked at the stone and they said, man, this stone's weird. This stone's odd. Surely there's nowhere for this stone to fit. Let me just reword that for you just a moment. This son is weird. This person is odd. This person's not going to fit here. It's what they did with Jesus. There's, there's no way he... They pushed it off the side. It rolled down the hill. It began to gather moss until they're questioning, what goes here? <laughs> I'll send the word back to the core. We, we need the stone that's going to keep everything together. And, and Peter is thinking through this, and he has revelation. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Verse 12, we sang about it. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel says to Joseph, and you shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua, for he shall, you're going to call him this, because he shall save his people from their sin. And that is by the name of Jesus. Guys, if you got saved, if you get saved, if you go to heaven, it will only be because of Jesus. It won't be because you turned out to be a good person. It won't be because mom and daddy are good people. You ain't going to heaven on nobody's skirts. The only way you make it to heaven is by trusting in Jesus and surrendering to that name. There is no other name given unto any person. You say, well, what about them people over there? No. It's been a big discussion. I don't know if you guys have become aware of this, but there's some balloons flying around. Y'all heard about that? I know there's some rednecks in Mississippi aiming towards South Carolina. I'm going to hit it. You know? There's some, it's supposed to be a, a flying saucer type thing over, over Minnesota or Michigan, I think, maybe. You know? Size of a four-wheeler. So it's, it's a big discussion. Are there aliens? What if there's aliens out there? Well, I'm just here to tell you I'm, I'm looking for somebody else to preach the gospel to. Bring them on. And if they go to heaven, they'll go the same way I go to heaven. It's through Jesus, so they need to hear Jesus. You know what I'm saying? There's nobody getting there. He, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father except through him. Verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled and they took knowledge of them and they said that they had been with Jesus. Let me tell you something, guys. The favor of God will get you where education can't. 
That's what that scripture says. Now, I'm not against education. The book of Proverbs says, gather up knowledge and understanding. And it's a good thing for us to be educated. And it's not wrong to be educated. And if, it, if you want degrees, at least make sure you got, you know, 98.6. <laughs> Some of y'all will get that on the way home. <laughs> but this is, this, this, is, this is what you need more than anything. Get taught by Jesus. Get along with Jesus and let Jesus teach. Andy, well, you're talking too metaphorical. Can I make, make it a little bit easier for you? Find a time to where you can get along by yourself. You open the word of God and you say, Lord, teach me what this is saying, but only teach me what I'm willing to apply and let me apply everything that I understand. Right? <laughs> You'll mesmerize the world around you because they know you ain't that smart. Verse 13, 14. All right, I better hurry up. <clears throat> and beholding the man which was healed standing with him, they could say nothing against it, but when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle has been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people. Let us strictly threaten them. Abused, mistreated taken advantage of, that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor preach the name of Jesus. But Jesus and John answered them and said unto them, mind your own business. Now that's just, that's just the Scott County. Yeah. <laughs> Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, you judge, judge ye. For, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Ain't no way to shut this up. Verse 21, so when they had further threatened them, they let them go. The charges were dropped. Amen, Mickey? Amen. Finding nothing... Uh, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people for all men glorified God for that which was done for the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. He had been in this situation for a long time and so it was very widespread that this is the guy. Everybody knows him. He's always at that gate begging alms. He's asked you for it. He's asked me for it. And now he ain't got to ask nobody for nothing. He's got all he needs, right? So this, this story, this story of, of persecution, and, and, and they, they've already experienced it some. <clears throat> they, they saw it with Jesus. Jesus, outside of the crucifixion, they, they saw it with Jesus. They were looking for this. Jesus actually told them that there would be those who came to them and mistreated them and abused them, thinking that they were doing God a favor by taking them and doing what they wanted to with them, imprisoning them taking their lives eventually, that'll happen. They, they were expecting it, and now they're getting it. And they're, they're going to get it more and more and more. What we're going to find later on in chapter 12 where James, the pastor in Jerusalem, is beheaded and, and things are just going to seem to topple over and over and over again because 
when Christians live out the Christian life, it is like a spotlight being shined in an abyss of darkness. It is so obvious, it is so evident, and sometimes it is so offensive. Let me, let me just give you this illustration. You're a teenage boy or girl. You stayed up way too late, too late Friday night. You want to sleep at least until the norm, 2 p.m. Surely that's when everybody wakes up on a Saturday morning. It's 2 p.m. That's what you think when you're a teenager most of the time. And dad comes in that next morning, Saturday morning, 9 o'clock. He's had enough of you sleeping in the bed. Doesn't matter how long you stayed up, you was responsible with that. And he doesn't go in and just cut on the light. He rips open the curtains and your window is facing the east. <laughs> Boom. And then all of a sudden, you're there laying in bed. Your face is facing that window and that bright sunlight hits your face. Oh, man. That's, that's a hard thing to wake up to, right? That's an offensive thing right off the bat. As opposed to, mama comes wakes you up. A little bit before 2 p.m. <laughs> pulling the, cur uh, the cover down. Kissing you on the forehead. Baby, it's time to wake up. You know how you mamas are. <clears throat> you see, it's the beginning. It's bright. It's blaring. It's out there here. It's not so much out there like that here. I wish it was because the, sometimes now you, have to, you, have to, you have to hear the every, everything that I'm saying with this <clears throat> because I don't mean anything bad about this, but sometimes the larger scale of the offense gives the greatest opportunity of the stage of a message. Not we, our purpose is not to offend anybody, but our purpose is to be light in darkness, right? So this is the question of the night. How do we maintain a strong and vibrant faith through the midst of, of persecution? What makes faith strong when we're being mistreated, harassed, taken advantage of, abused? Because this is, this is the temptation. The temptation is, is when everybody loves me, and I love Jesus, my faith is strong. When I'm loving Jesus, and because I'm loving Jesus, it turns some people a little sour against me, my faith becomes a little weak. Matthew chapter 13, not going to go to it, don't have a whole lot of time left. But in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives the parable of the sower. He's telling this parable to a crowd. They don't get it. He, he finally calls his, his buddies in, the disciples, and they're like, Jesus, by the way, A plus sermon. Tell us about what this means. And he begins to divulge to the message behind the message. And in verses 18 through 20, 23 or 22, Jesus talks about that seed that is the word of God that the sower sows and it falls on different types of ground and certain ground receives it when certain ground is either devoid of receiving it, doesn't have a chance to get it, or completely rejects it. And the way Jesus defines how, how some receive and some rejects, is, rejects it, three out of, the, out of the four, he says, the first is just... Ignorant and birds still are away. 
let, let me say this real quick. Everybody look at me. Everybody look at me. You know I love you. Do y'all know that? If you, if you know I love you, just give me a little wave. Amen. All right. You are only as ignorant as you want to be when it comes to your relationship with Jesus. Some people play this game. If I don't know it, I don't have to be responsible for it. And that they try to play Jesus like that. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus ain't no fool. He ain't no joke. Right? Well, if I just don't know it, I ain't really got to obey it. And maybe he'll be a little more compassionate to my ignorance rather than my rebellion. And he will. He will. He's, I think, a little more merciful to ignorance than he is rebellion. But, but it's still ignorant. You don't have to be ignorant. How many times did Paul say that? I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning this thing. By the way, it wasn't just Paul saying that. God used Paul to write it. It was God himself through the power of inspiration in his Holy Spirit that is not just saying that to the church at Thessalonica, but to me and you. You don't have to be ignorant because when you are willfully ignorant, the enemy swoops in and steals a seed that God is wanting to be planted. That's why it's important to be in the Word. That's why it's important to be praying. That's why it's important to memorize the Scripture. That's why it's important to study to show yourself approved. That's why it's important to meditate on the Word. And you say, well, Andy, I've done that, and I'm kind of getting a little tired of that. Well, that's when you need to do it the most. Then there's another ground that faces tribulation and persecution and, and their faith, it, it disappears because of tribulation, trials in life. The sun comes up and it scorches it and it withers from the root, Jesus says. What trouble are you experiencing that diminishes your faith? Can I just give you a little, little note on the side? And I know this is a hard pill to swallow I get it. I'm having to take the same medicine. But when you go through a trial, it's not meant, or a tribulation, it's not meant to diminish your faith, but to increase your faith. Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going to the mountain, I'm going to pray. Y'all get in the boat, go over there. I'll get there somehow. I'll get there. I'll meet up with you guys later. They get in a boat. Jesus, who knows all things, he's God in flesh, tells them to get in a boat and go across the sea knowing that a storm was coming. <laughs> the storm's coming. He knows it. He's an orchestrator. By him, all things consist. He's preeminent over all things, Colossians chapter 1. And so he sends them out. They're in the boat. The storm comes. He shows up walking on water. Peter, step out. Peter walks, sinks, gets up. They're in the boat. Peace be still. The storm has stopped. And he says this. Oh, ye of little faith. Come on, man. This storm was meant to make that faith bigger, stronger. Don't let tribulation diminish your Don't let persecution diminish your faith. But then he talks about the cares of this world. But Jesus, I don't feel provided for right now. I don't think you're taking care of my needs right now. Whenever we think that we're doing without something, again, 
We, let me just say this on the side. We are one of the most wealthy nations in the world. I understand not everybody is on playing ground financially, same playing ground financially. There are some people who really legitimately are in a poverty situation to where you don't have food, you don't have clothes, you don't have house, you don't have transportation, things that you need. Barack Obama years ago said, internet is, is a necessity. I don't think so. <laughs> There's things that you just don't have the ability to, to provide for yourself, legitimate poverty. But Paul said this, again, another hard pill to swallow. If I have clothes and food, I've learned to be content, right? If you'll look around, ain't none of us starving. Matter of fact, some of us really found where the food's at. You know what I'm saying? I think all of us are going to be okay. The cares of this world, keeping up with the Joneses and, and, and making sure that I get more of what I want, get all I can, can all I get and sit on the lid type of a mentality. The cares of the world. I'm worried about what's going to happen next kind of cares of the world. And, and so that can diminish our faith. And so during a time of persecution, what do we learn from these guys that can keep our faith solid and strong? The first thing is, is we learn from these guys that they lived inside of the effects of the gospel. Not going to take a whole lot of time because I've already preached more than I expected to. But understand, this is what helped them survive through the persecution. They knew the gospel was not a one-time event for them. They knew that the gospel was not just one thing to think about and not just one thing to appreciate, but the gospel is a place that we live because the gospel is a place in where we experience salvation and freedom and have every other good gift from God. The gospel that Jesus died, he was buried, he rose from the dead. And the resource of that is absolutely unended. Why do you think in Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 it says, But that my God shall supply all of your needs. What does he say next? That's right. According to his riches in Christ Jesus. Riches in Christ Jesus. If you were to ask Jesus, Jesus, you got any money to pay your taxes? Hey guys, go fishing. They fish and they'll bring in a fish and there's money in the fish's mouth to pay. Jesus, we don't have enough thing, enough food to feed this multitude. Bring me what you got. He blesses it, breaks it, and they pick up 12 baskets full of the fragments. If you would have asked Jesus, Jesus, what, I need to write down your address. He'd have said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. And yet all resources that we need are found in Christ Jesus. You see, they didn't just say, oh yeah, I got saved, and then I moved on. They said, I got saved, and I'm living in the effects of the gospel every single day. Why do I wake up? Because of the gospel. Why do I choose to go to work? Because of the gospel. Why do I decide to love those whom the world may deem unlovable or mistreat me? It's because of the gospel. Why do I decide to be faithful to my wife? Because of the gospel. Why do I decide to raise my children under the nurture and admonition of the Lord with the word of God? Because of the gospel. Our decisions are based the fact that we are living inside of the effects of the gospel, these guys, they said, 
You can tell us what you want to tell us. But I'll tell you this. We're going to keep preaching and teaching Jesus. And you can keep throwing us into jail until the hinges fall off the door from the swings it takes. But we're just going to keep preaching the gospel. You see, when the gospel does to you what it does to them, what it did to them, you're going to learn to live inside of the effects of the gospel. The next thing is they knew that there was no other way. I, I like what, what Peter and, and the other disciples said in John chapter 6, verse 68 through 69. This is a situation where Jesus is saying, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part of me. And there was a large following of Jesus that left because that was a very hard thing to understand. And Jesus turns to his disciples and said, are you guys going to leave me too? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Verse 69. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. They knew that there was no other way. There's nowhere else to go. And, and not, to say that, not to say that that's the only option. But that's the only option. Y'all getting tired, I know. Look at me real quick. You got you to hear that. Not to say that's not the only option, but that's the only option. <laughs> you you want to choose other ways? Get after it, Hoss. Go ahead, try it. Chase it. Do it. Be that. Choose this way. It's all going to end up in ash. It's no good. Can't satisfy. Can't fix. Can't free. It's all going to be a waste. There's other options, but there's only one way. And that way is, is Jesus. And they, they understood that. In verse 12, we see that neither is there salvation any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And then the last thought, they had strong evidence to back them. What built their faith in a moment of persecution when they could have been writing mama with tear-stained letters from prison cell, what kept their faith up? They knew that Jesus is who he said he is and could do what he said he would do. He gave them promise. And don't you know Peter felt a little bit comforted knowing that John's in the cell with him because Jesus done told John he wouldn't see death until he saw Jesus come again. You know? Bruh, I may go, but you all right, right? But the evidence that, that backs the story is this guy. Look at verse 16 again. This, this guy who is, who is healed. The, the, the report from the council of religious leaders saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle, notable miracle has been done by them is manifest, made known, revealed to all them that dwell in Jerusalem. And we can't deny, we can't send out a Facebook post that said, I'll oh, just ignore the guy who was lame and no longer lame. It's just a trick of your eye. You couldn't do that. It's, it's out there. It's known. There's Let me ask you this, guys. Is there evidence behind your story? Is there, is there evidence behind your story? Well, there will be if you are still living inside of the effects of the gospel. There will be if you realize, not just for you, but everybody, but for you for sure, 
There really ain't no other way. You see, when you live it out that way, there's going to be so much evidence behind your story when people see you, they're going to be like, ain't no need in trying to convince nobody else about them because it's just the way it is. You know what I'm saying? You already know. That's the way it is. Even though there might be persecution, in reality, even though there should be persecution, persecution is not something, because you're mistreated because of your faith, it's not something that should make your faith dwindle hide, but instead like a neon light for all to see, not because of you, but because of him should shine. Let it shine. Every head bowed and every eye closed just for a moment. Father, we want to please you with everything that we do, how we live every decision that we make. And I know that so oftentimes I make decisions and I choose a way that's of my own and I know the way that I choose of my own is a destruction and death. And God, I ask you to forgive me. But God, help us to be the kind of people who choose you even when others around us may not be choosing us. And Lord, I... I'm afraid that tonight's message is more prophetical than what we could understand right now. Lord, I am praying that tonight's message, not because I preached it, but because I believe your Holy Spirit has spoken, I pray that it be a firebrand impressed upon all of our hearts and our memory for seasons of life to come. And that each day from this point forward, we not, might not be those of, oh, ye of little faith, but we'll be those of saying, we're people of authority. We know that if you say this, you don't have to go. Speak the word and it'll be done. A faith that you'll look at and not marvel because of us, but marvel because of the direction of our faith is in you, the one who can do all things. So God, you use this channel let the just live by their faith, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.